very happy to be here today with Tim Harwood, who's Head of Programme Management for the H21 project, which is um, one of the big initiatives being driven by Northern Gas Networks here in the UK. Um, I'm actually going to hand over to Tim and ask just for a little bit of background on how have you ended up at the helm of this? What was your background before? And just to give a bit of a flavour about how you've arrived at this point and spearheading quite a quite an exciting project. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Um, I've just in August this year, tipped over actually four years in the gas industry. I started as an apprentice with British Gas in 1980. Seems a long time ago now. Uh, and over a varied career, I've done various different roles, mainly in operations and, and maintenance. I did have a spell of eight years at uh, National Grid, which I thoroughly enjoyed, uh, to 2012. And then in 2012, I came back to uh, Northern Gas Networks uh, as sort of head of construction. So I do a lot of project management as I say, in operations and maintenance. I've always been really interested in sort of green side of things. And when hydrogen was coming more and more on the agenda, I put myself forward to be the sort of project lead, if you like, for, for developing the hydrogen projects. And now I've ended up as H21 project director and I'm also the, um, the overall director for um, High Deploy 2, which is a 20% blending project that we're potentially might get a chance to have a little talk about later. Yes, we'll talk about that that blending project, I think is an interesting kind of on our way out of the the, the uh, main H21 discussion. So let's, let's kick in with the project then. So um, the one thing I did want to add was that one of the reasons that I reached out to you was actually the H21 project was something that one and this is honestly true, I'm not just saying this to kind of make the podcast sound like it's a thing when it's not a thing, but one of the listeners who had been in touch about the podcast had said, that H21 was a, a project of interest that they really wanted to hear about. And then since then, um, I suppose once you have someone poking you about it, someone else has mentioned it, I've been reading about it, I mean, it's really gaining a lot of interest um, in the UK and Europe uh, as one of the kind of key hydrogen projects. So hydrogen as a, an opportunity to transition. So why don't, why don't you tell uh, people who, are, who won't necessarily be aware of it yet, um, who may be in other countries or in different sectors, what's the kind of, that's the headline on what H21 is trying to achieve or trying to prove? H21 is a suite of projects that's aimed at basically demonstrating that existing gas distribution networks can be repurposed to carry 100% hydrogen. Now that that sounds easy, but it's actually quite difficult to go through all the safety-related and, and research and development activities that we need to do. So the project is split up into a number of different phases. It's been in progress since 2018, and it's not due to complete till the end of 2021. So we've just finished phase one, and now we're moving on to, to the second phase. Um, it's government-sponsored, um, in essence, because our regulator, Ofgem, uh, um, have given us the money to do this research on behalf of the gas industry. But, you know, in essence, we're really doing it on behalf of the UK, I suppose, um, and the government. And so the first phase of the H21 project is all about demonstrating that if you transferred over to hydrogen, would the leakage be any different to what it is with natural gas? Would uh, the consequences of, of gas leaking into buildings and how you do operations and maintenance and repairs on, on pipes. Would that be any different with hydrogen as it is with natural gas? We've built two test centres and worked with two industry-leading partners on, on doing this research. So there's the Health and Safety Executive Science Division, which is based in Buxton, 
in the in sort of central England, and then there's DMVGL, um, which we're doing consequence testing with in their site at Spade Adam in Cumbria. So we've built some purpose-built testing facilities, taken lots of assets out of the ground, tested them to see if they behave any different with hydrogen as they do with natural gas. The end game of everything is being able to demonstrate that we could operate a hydrogen network just as safely as we do now with natural gas. Within the gas industry in the UK, we're very proud of our safety record. Um, we have a 99.99% resilience, so people are unlikely to ever be interrupted and have their gas supply turned off unless they obviously want their supply replacing or they've actually asked us to come and do it. And we've got a really great safety record as well. So we've got a lot to live up to with hydrogen and we want to do as much research and development as we can to, to try and, I suppose, look at any other aspect that might be out of the ordinary and anything that's different than it is with natural gas. So that's really sort of what phase one is, and there'll be a report coming out for that in the new year, and we're going to be organising doing some webinars and things like that. So if people are interested, I'd I'd watch out for that, and uh, you know maybe we, we could uh, give a shout out to the sort of um, I think it's h20 www.h21green is the website where we have um, h21. So there'll be details of the the webinars on there. I'll add that to our show notes. So for anyone listening who wants to look that up, um, wherever you look at this, whether it's our website or Spotify or Apple, if you go to the show notes, you'll find that link there. We just started phase two, which is more dealing with sort of how we do operations and maintenance on the network. So how do we go and fix um, hydrogen leaks? How would we extend the network? How would we um, replace components and parts? And also how would we do all the... Um, policies and procedures and all the various standards and things that there are. So there's, there's there's various different streams of research going on, but at the end of it, it's all to prove that we can operate our network safely and so that we don't impact on the public. Um, we've done a lot of social science and research with Leeds Beckett University looking at the acceptance of hydrogen and, and how that had impact on the public. So the other side of it is not just the safety-related things, it's it's looking at how the public acceptance would be of hydrogen. What are their views and how would they feel about hydrogen coming into their homes? So that's also been really enlightening and interesting. And, uh, yeah, that that's that research is also going to be part of our sort of launch of the, of the phase one report, giving the sort of outcomes of that. So Did any surprises come out of that? Or was, I don't know, is it what you think it might be that, yes, it'll take just a bit of education and, and uh, showing people how you've dem you know, demonstrated and tested? Or were you pleasantly surprised by what you heard? What, what sort of things came up? I think we were pleasantly surprised, actually. Um, the main outcomes from the, from the research are really that uh, then we're trusted by the public. So the public trusts gas distribution networks to do the right thing. They believe that if we're going to change the fuel that goes into people's houses, that we will have done this type of research that we're doing now and that we will make sure everything is safe and that we're not going to put them at danger. So that's really good that they have a high level of, of confidence in, in the work that we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, the two things that stand out really from that research is they don't like disruption um, of any type. And that's very, very interesting when you're thinking about things like potentially hydrogen-ready boilers and how you would change people over and do a conversion. Yeah, they, they really don't like disruption. And the other thing is they don't want it to cost any more money than it, than it would now, which is, which is probably an obvious one. But, but, but the interesting thing on the back of that is we did ask them 
look, if this is going to decarbonise the UK, if it's going to help save the planet, what would you feel about small increase in costs? And funnily enough, most people were open to a small increase in the cost of, of, the, of the service if it meant that they could sort of say that they were helping towards decarbonisation. Only a small percentage, but it's still interesting to think that people do put actually a premium on on feeling good about that they've done something to help save the planet and that they've helped decarbonise. So that's quite interesting, actually. Yeah, I think that, I mean, to me sounds, I, w- I might have expected perhaps more, uh, a larger kind of contingent of people who felt a bit more strongly about health and safety. But I think, I guess it's also to do with the way that, as you say, you have that trust factor. You already operate a system which has health and safety implications and people trust the work that you've done and the delivery. So you are coming from... Uh, a known you're a known entity entering the space and I, I wonder if it would be different as a question for another time maybe but if it was a new market entrant obviously that that then would have massively different connotations I, I guess. Yeah we're governed by very strict sort of rules and regulations and you know again we're in the 99 point something percent attendance that gas escapes within an hour and things like that so people trust that we do provide a good service and uh, they sort of expect it and and we pride ourselves on being able to do that. That is one of the big things in the gas industry. If you ring up the emergency number, if you smell gas, then we will respond. And that'll be no different in the hydrogen world. And it's a great foundation to build on uh, and a good reputation. And of course, we want to do everything we can to maintain it, which is why the research has to be very thorough and, uh, and we don't leave any stone unturned, really. Okay, so you gave us a, a good kind of overview of the goals of the in, the entire project. Uh, we've heard a little bit about the fact that you're now kind of moving into moving into phase two or knee deep in phase two. How would you describe it? Yeah, we started phase two earlier on in the year. Obviously, we've had a, we've had a little bit of set of a setback because uh, because of the plague. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so we're a little bit behind. We're not too far behind actually, but we won't complete that research until the end of twenty twenty one. And at that stage, we are expecting to to sit down with our regulators, the health and safety executive, and get an agreement from them that we can actually do live trials. So we can actually go to putting 100% hydrogen into people's homes um, out there in the public domain and that we'd carry on doing some trials to to see how that went and to sort of take it from the research and health and safety side to more actually supply chain development and so that helps to, us to think about hydrogen production and it help, helps us to think about end uses and appliances and things as well. So phase three is is that. Phase three is the live trial, the kind of uh, the looking at what the appliances are that people will be bringing into their homes, how the, how the wider infrastructure plays in together. Yeah, that's right. Phase three, we, we, we're hoping to start fairly small, so, so potentially something like 50 homes. They would all be visited and have all the appliances changed over to, to hydrogen appliances. We'd obviously set up some sort of a production uh, facility as well and um, take the existing infrastructure out of the gas network and just convert it all over to 100% hydrogen. So if that's successful and it could probably run for potentially about 12 months, then we'd start increasing the number of homes that were, that were on 100% hydrogen and gradually grow that out to potentially six, seven hundred homes, something like that. And that's a trial to really demonstrate that all the research that we've done over the past few years is is viable and, and it's a practical demonstration of all the scientific research. At the end of phase three, 
we hope that then we'll be able to do pilots where, you know, you're talking about a few thousand homes then. And that is really a practice for, for the actual rollout and conversion. And this will be across the whole UK. So I see trials starting potentially in two locations, uh, one in, the, in, in our Northern Gas Network area and the other one in, in Scotland in Fife. And then from that, it will slowly grow and there'll become more and more trials and pilots and then roll out across the country over the next 10 years. So we're, we do feel a great responsibility to get this going and, 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 and prove that we can do it. But it will lead to, you know, hopefully all 23 million gas consumers in the country having a, having a hydrogen supply, which is amazing. So at the moment, you said um, kind of the backing has been it's been government and regulatory cash that's uh, sponsoring this phase three i'm imagining has some different partnerships that would be required and is it different funding as well i mean as in different sources of funding or would that still be uh government backed because it's still pilot phase how, how would that likely work i think phase three will probably still be government backed but we are getting into the realms of of talking to larger companies about hydrogen production talking to appliance manufacturers um, about sort of mass production of appliances. And there will come a stage once we've proved that we can do 100% hydrogen in people's homes that, that the safety side of it moves to one side and then it becomes more of an economic argument. You know, people need to have freedom of choice so that if they don't want to have a switch over from a gas supply to a hydrogen supply, then there are heat pumps or electric options and things like that. So it will come more down to market forces and if we don't stimulate hydrogen production, we will never get the cost down to where it's, it's sort of, it reaches an economic tipping point. So we do feel as well that apart from doing the safety side and the trials, we have to stimulate production. And we, we will end up working with partners um, to, to get the production off the ground and to set up hydrogen networks. And hopefully then that will lead to the cost coming down as with anything else, the bigger the bigger it gets and the bigger the scale is, you're more likely to have a more cost-efficient um, cost base, you know, and you just produce the product for a cheaper price. So, yeah, it's one thing will sort of lead to another, hopefully. Okay, well, as I, I definitely uh, mentioned to you and, and other people will know, uh, most of the work that, that I do, I suppose, is with the industrial um, group, the industrial side of things. So... I'm, I mean, I'm imagining Northern Gas Networks, you must supply gas in some of the most densely industrial areas in the UK. So are you already, I mean, has that been a listing interest from those industrial clients? Are you getting inbound inquiries about how this might benefit uh, industrials at some point? Or are you sensing people just sitting back and maybe observing how it goes. Tell, tell me a bit about how the industrials are reacting or maybe engaging around this. There's been a great deal of interest. We've actually been talking to somebody earlier on today um, about, about a large-scale project with our um, colleagues at National Grid. And there's a tremendous amount of interest. And um, you, you're right, within the Northern Gas Network's geographic area, the Humber Cluster and sort of Teesside are the two big sort of industrial areas there's a lot of talk in government about providing some stimulation to, to, to get those off the ground. It's highly likely that while the trials are going on on a small scale to decarbonise homes, they'll also be uh, looking at decarbonising industry. And it could be that some large steelworks, power stations, or potentially glassworks and those sorts of really large users 
could actually be the first to the party. That they're, they're the first ones to get hydrogen supply. And then on the back of that, there's additional excess supply that then can be fed into homes as well. So in an ideal scenario, you would grow an industrial cluster out, start picking up all the large industrial users, but then you're picking up the, 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 the sort of housing estates and the, the urbanizations around as well. And it, and it grows out from the industrial clusters and then they join together. So an example of Humber and Teesside, you know, in the big scheme of things, they're not that far away from each other. And if those two industrial clusters grew out, they could potentially join together. There's a very large uh, underground gas storage facility sort of halfway in between Teesside and the Humber as well. So as a, as, a, as a model of how you might do it, and it's not the only one in the country, but obviously it's the one that Northern Gas Networks is, <laughs> is working on. We, we, we have lots of discussions with local authorities and, 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 and hydrogen producers, hydrogen manufacturers and people who want to get involved on a sort of daily basis, really. And, of course, Boris's announcement last week has only sort of stimulated it even more. And we, we, we're almost in danger of being overrun by it, but actually it's a great problem to have. You know, It's taken a long time to get hydrogen on the agenda and get people talking about it, but now it's really got momentum. So, so the, the current, again, just coming back to H21, that's purely domestic, purely looking at its uh, feasibility in those different stages for domestic supply. What is, is it likely that there would be a similar project for industrial supply or, or most of these learnings that they apply to the net to uh, industry as, or industrial networks and scenarios as well? How, how might that play out? Yeah, it's a bit of both, really. I think the H21 project does cover gas distribution networks, which have anything from power stations, down to sort of shopping centres, uh, you know, your fish and chip shops and, and your supermarkets and then your houses. So they have a real sort of uh, varied sort of um, cross-matching of, of, of all sorts of different types of users. I think on the running in parallel with the H21 project, there's also things like the industrial fuel switching project and projects that other gas distribution networks are, are working on that are trying to look at, you know, how could you really convert a power station or how could you convert a steelworks? Because those are, I think the government really liked the idea of that because in one hit you can make a massive change of, of, of how much you can decarbonise, whereas homes will be more of a slow burner. And decarbonising homes will really get going in about five years' time, but it could be another 10 years or more before it's completed. Whereas if you, if you do a couple of power stations or, like I say, a couple of really large industrial users like chemical works or, or glass works, you make an instant sort of impact. So I think there's going to be a lot of uh, money put into that. And it's part of Boris's 10-point plan is that they stimulate sort of large-scale hydrogen production so that we can start decarbonizing these really big industrial users. Do you have a sense, and it's fine if it's just not clear yet, but is is um, do you have a sense of when other investors or investment groups might be brought in or needed to come in? Or for now, is it just, no, we see as far as we can with the government money and we'll see what happens next? Yeah, I think there are big players like Equinor and, and, and Uniper and, and Anangi are all, you know, they're already looking at where can we invest? Where can we get together and form consortiums? And how can we work with the government and with the, with the gas networks to, to bring everything together? So... We have a lot of discussions. I think the investment is there. These things take a long time to, to come to fruition. So at the moment, we're doing what, what we call feed studies, which is just like front-end 
design, you know, feasibility studies, if you like, of, of how it might work. But, but there's some serious discussions around the industrial clusters in, in Humber and Teesside and, and over in the northwest um, with the Hynet project, you know, in Manchester and Liverpool. It's, it's really very serious sort of discussions with, with big companies about how we can actually make this work. So most of the big players are already on board with it. And even your BPs and, and Shells, you know, they are now coming around to think, yeah, let's set up a hydrogen division. And let's look at how we can sort of switch over. And they they see the end of fossil fuels and they are big companies and they want to be part of a new future. So that brings me into then the economics kind of piece of this, because probably for most most of the companies, whether they are the big integrated energy companies or whether they're smaller um, organisations, but those that are looking to get involved with this, everyone right now cares about the economics of hydrogen. It's often the thing actually far more, very rarely do I read anything about the security or safety element. It's really all about, is it actually investable? Is it actually going to be economically viable? Or rather, when is it going to be economically viable? So what's your sense of, if nothing changed, the economics of this are this, but we think by doing X, Y, Z, the economics could be something else. You know, Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, I think it's all about scale, really, you know. There's no getting away from the fact that because there's a, a small um, amount of production at the moment, that the cost of natural gas per se is, is, is much less at the moment than it is with hydrogen. But on the other hand, if if you look at the government um, um, research that's been put into not doing hydrogen and instead the alternative is an all-electric all system, you know that, that's been proven. It's tens of billions of pounds a year more expensive to just have an all-electric system. What we need is a well-balanced um, whole systems approach, as we call it. So we're balancing off things like constrained electricity. So we talk about the economics of it and the cost, but at the moment, you know, there's hundreds of millions of pounds worth of free electricity that is not being used in this country because it's what we call constrained. So like wind power that, that can't be used because it's not required by the national grid. That could be used to create hydrogen. And then the hydrogen could be stored underground. And ultimately, what you're doing there is creating a gigantic battery. You know, you are storing energy for the future. That is actually how you get the price down because you're using a commodity that would actually not be there in the first place. It's 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 electricity that is, I won't say it's free, but when they build all these giant offshore wind farms, there'll be times when that electricity is not required. Now, if you've got a product that you can't sell, then that product is going to be more expensive in, in, the, in the long run. If you can use that product like during the night when there's a low demand for electricity to make hydrogen, store the hydrogen, then use the hydrogen at the peak times during the next day in the morning and at tea time, then you've got an efficient business model there. And so we are working with the electricity companies to think about how we can produce hydrogen at a lower cost than the than it is at the moment to get it down somewhere near the price of of natural gas i think it's going to take probably at least 10 years if not more before the price is sort of comparable but there have been studies done that say you know by the time we get to the 2030s it will be comparable in price to natural gas and of course then you know we should have an efficient network and system that's that's well balanced will work hand in hand with the with the electricity companies and, you know, we'll be getting everything done for the least cost option. It's sort of the most efficient way of doing it. 
and by that time the price should be should be comparable as I say. It's interesting uh, going back to that point about um, unusual or not previously done styles of collaboration and that it's not like the technical issues. Yes, the technical issues exist. And yes, the financial issues exist. But but there's also this kind of third arm, isn't there, of how we create collaborations that are really effective between partners that probably typically wouldn't have got involved with each other before. The only way we're going to make this work if we all collaborate together and work together it's not a sort of an arms race between the gas industry and the electricity industry, you know, about who wins the decarbonisation battle. It's, it's about working together. And, you know, if we can balance peaks in the, in the electricity consumption and they can balance off our peaks as well, that's actually better for customers. At the end of the day, that's going to mean everyone has a lower bill, whether it's gas or electric, and you have to work together to be able to do that. There may actually be a time when there's like a joint control room, if you like, and the whole country is being balanced out to get the most efficient use of energy, uh, no matter what it is. So some the electric's getting turned down at certain times so that so that we don't have overproduction and the, and the hydrogen's creeping up in the same the same way the other way around. So we we are having lots of discussions about that. We do work with the electricity companies, but we also need to work with um, hydrogen producers as well. What we have at the moment is a lot of the gas coming from offshore. So a lot of the natural gas comes into the country from, from gas fields around Europe and a lot of it, uh, especially from uh, Norway. But obviously we're not going to have that. We're going to have uh, hydrogen being produced inside the UK, more, more likely than not. So, yeah, we'll start off making the hydrogen from, from natural gas probably, but we need to get um, electrolyzers off the ground and get them built up to be sort of the scale that we need so we can produce as much green hydrogen as, as possible. So how are we going to do that and who are going to be the big hydrogen producers? Is it going to be um, existing existing sort of industrial companies that sort of get into doing that or are we going to have new players coming into the market? Will there be any new technologies and inventions that come up with a new way of, of, of producing hydrogen? So, you know, we realise we need to eventually move away from producing hydrogen from natural gas because we have to capture the carbon and then, and then pipe that out offshore. And it's, it's almost like you have to create two systems when you do that. So that's why the cost is more at the start. If we can get the cost of electrolysis down, you're making hydrogen from water. Uh, your byproduct is oxygen. And when you use it, it produces water again. So that is the place where we want to get because everyone understands and can, can easily think that that is a great solution. And we only do that by by building up a really strong supply chain. So it is really important that hydrogen production is probably the most important thing over the next 10 years once the safety-related aspects have been, been proven. So talking with uh, gas producers and shippers now, at what, what stage do they start to fit into this process? Because obviously what you're doing now is small scale, it's still early testing, but I think I can understand from what you're saying what, what they're needed for, clearly, which is that the right... Uh, method of production, the right price of production, and getting that price down over time. When do they start really getting involved um, in a project like yours? I think as soon as the trials are finished, which will be probably 2023, 2024, something like that, at that point, we will be looking to do pilots. And I'm sure some of the industrial fuel switching will be, will be ready to happen by then. We will really need to have people setting up quite large hydrogen production plants and things by then 
Um, at the moment, we're going to do our own production as part of the trial, but we're a gas distribution network and we don't produce the product, we only transport it. And we don't really want to get into that either. So that's, again, why we're having lots of conversations. So I see from the sort of midpoint point of the decade through to 2030, it really ramping up um, with large plants at the start that, as I say, make, make hydrogen from natural gas. But on the back of that, smaller um, plants that make it from um, green electricity and they grow and they eventually overcome the, 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 the sort of uh, natural gas reforming plants and they start to shut down and we go for more green hydrogen right across the board. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot closer than people think, actually. When people talk to me, they say, well, you know, there aren't going to be any hydrogen-ready boilers manufactured at scale till 2030, you won't have production. But actually, we will. We're actually targeting a policy decision by government on multi-billion pound investment by 2025. And if you think about that, 2021 is just around the corner. That's not that's not far away in industrial terms you know that is that is that is only like a heartbeat really come to be fair so everyone is one of the things i do is try and tell people about the urgency of the timescales and that these things aren't far in the distance and they're not pipe dreams either that's actually happening now and we'd welcome sort of any conversations about production and so, so would the government, you know, and so would all our fellow sort of gas distribution networks and national grid around the country. We probably talked to hundreds of people over the course of sort of the year about how we're going to do this and how we're going to work together. So, yeah, it is, it is happening, um, but it does need the government to stimulate it as well. Right at the beginning, we talked about um, this blending project that, that you're also uh, overseeing, so high deploy by named it correctly so tell tell me a bit about that so that's the kind of the stepping stone i guess into um a full hydrogen deployment around the country so what's yeah tell us a bit about that project and it and the status of it as well yeah sure high deploy is a, a project that was started off by um one of our fellow uh, distribution networks caden down in keel university in leicester and they started off on the university campus injecting up to 20% hydrogen into the gas network there. And that trial's been ongoing uh, for, for quite a few months now. But what they wanted to do is move that out from a sort of more controlled environment into the public domain. So we've got a project called High Deploy 2 that I look after that's based up in uh, a village called Winlayton, which is just in Gateshead near Newcastle. And we're building a, a plant at the moment um, on our site at Low Thornley that will become operational in the first quarter, at the end of the first quarter in 2021. So, you know, by the time we get into the end of March, April, we'll be blending 20% um, hydrogen into about 700 houses um, at the, in this village in Winlayton. We've already been around every house. We've done gas checks, checked all the appliances, uh, relayed lots of pipes and, and, and got the network ready, put new infrastructure in. So we're really excited about it. You know, we're literally a few months away from, from doing the first sort of uh, full-scale hydrogen blend in, into domestic properties in the UK. So that is a stepping stone to being able to do 100%. It's also, though, actually part of Boris's 10-point plan. And in that plan, it does say we want to have a hydrogen um, sort of village, if you like, with a non-20% blend by the end of 2023. 
and that's what we intend to do. We, we, we should have, be able to meet that objective. Blending hydrogen into a gas network is a sort of a low regrets thing. To change a network over to 100%, there's like no turning back, really. You know, you have to produce the product, put it in the pipes, and, and there's, no, there's no real way of reversing it unless you actually stopped completely and converted it back. So blending, you know, anything up to 20%, you can put into a gas network and if for some reason there's, a, there's, there's an outage of the equipment or something happens, then the gas network still flows and everything carries on and customers don't, don't get sort of um, disadvantaged. So it's a fantastic way to do some decarbonisation in a more of a, a no-regret situation and it's low risk. And it will teach us a lot about production and about how we do things while we're looking at doing the more complicated sort of 100% um, trials. So... Yeah, it's fantastic, and uh, we're really looking forward to to doing it. And I'm sure when once we start flowing hydrogen into the network, there'll be plenty of sort of publicity and things about it, and and social media stuff. So we're really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's quite exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Exciting to to have both of those projects under you. I'm sure you must be. Uh, yeah, I'm sure your time is not your own at the moment. But um, thank you so much for just giving us some time to talk through the projects. Um, and I will confirm that website and add it to the show notes so that people can come and have a look. But thank you, Tim. Thanks so much for giving a bit of time on this Friday afternoon. Much appreciated. Oh, thanks, Alex. I've enjoyed it.